Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Frank Fezvillis. Frank covers Indigenous affairs for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He just joined the Sentinel after three years at the Green Bay Press-Gazette as part of Report for America. Wisconsin is home to 11 Native American tribes, so there's a lot to cover. Frank is a graduate of Columbia College of Chicago and worked for multiple Chicago area papers. Hi, Frank. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Sure. So what's your journalism origin story? I grew up in Cicero, Illinois. It's kind of infamous for being a place where, where Al Capone kind of hung out and had his headquarters, and it was kind of run by the mob up up, up until then, actually. The, the administration there was known for being um, corrupt and stealing funds. And, and it was through reporting and local reporting that, that, uh, that a lot of us residents were, were made aware of, of, of a lot of what was going on and, 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 you know, how funds are being stolen from the town. And, and that eventually led to the, to the, to the village president being arrested and a lot of officials were, were, were charged and, and state took over the, the town for a while um clean up the mess that was that was left there so so yeah so i so i really ad- admired journalists for really going after it in my in my hometown there and that was in the 90s i was i, I was also in high school at that time and and i admired some writers became particularly fond of writing and and some some of the ses like ralph waldo emerson and henry david throw those two writers I really looked up to in high school and wanted to kind of emulate and and they did their own type of journalism back in the 19th century so so yeah so that's pretty much how I got started and I asked I asked my high school English teacher what what could I do what career should I take in writing and how do I become a journalist she mentioned Columbia College and and that's where I went and and went and just went from there so (laughs) On your uh, Twitter bio, you list yourself as being Mexican, Yaqui, Lithuanian, Irish, American. That's the most demographically diverse list that I think that we have had in 130 plus episodes that we've talked to people. Is there anything from your background or heritage that lent itself to storytelling? Well, yeah, just just the origins of my four grandparents being from those four places of the world and the the world events and how they ended up in America as refugees and as immigrants. And you know, my grandmother from my father's side on the Irish side who came during one one of the famines in Ireland during the um eighteen hundreds. And then the his father from the Lithuanian side, they came over during the um Russian Revolution and they fought on the side of the Tsar and they lost so and they fled and they fled the country here and First they went to Canada, then they came to the U.S. And then my from my mother's side, my grandfather is Mexican. He's he's one of those who crossed the border. He well, he kind of lived on on the border of Texas and Mexico, kind of going back and forth for different work, as worked on different ranches, and eventually ended ended up here in Chicago. And then my from my grandmother, she's 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 a Yaki. Her parents had fled the Mexican Revolution and 
and and they and they ended up in Chicago or Indiana first. And what happened there was my great grandfather would have stories. It's Francisco Trevino. He's 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 the he's the Yaki. He would have stories about Pancho Villa, this revered hero in, in Mexican and in, in, in Mexican stories. He's he's like a Mexican legend. But but to him, he said he was he was more like brutal. He's more like a tyrant, and he's he was and he was brutal to in Indians mostly. He would send them to the front line as as cannon fodder. So he would round up these yakis, such as my great grandfather, and send them on suicide missions. And then he was what he was seventeen um, when he was rounded up by Pancho Villa. Then he somehow escaped and just ran to the U.S. and became a refugee and. And and just moved to Chicago and the Chicago area, and that's where that's how my family ended up in Chicago, and that's just everyone from different parts of the world just converging in Chicago, and that's how we all met, and that's and I'm a and I was and I'm I'm a product of that. So were they all storytellers? Somewhat, yeah. Well, yeah, they would they would my 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 mother and my father they would tell stories about about their family and my my grandparents once in a while um but yeah but but you would have to really like ask them and kind of prod them for for information but 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 yeah that yeah it was, so that's maybe it's one of the early lessons in asking questions i guess and and interviewing <laughs> so so i'm looking at some of your career highlights and i saw one thing that was referenced in your writer bio on uh, the Journal Sentinel website. Visvillis helped transform a shopper into an award-winning community newspaper with hard-hitting enterprise reporting, a professional redesign, and the introduction of several sections. What did you do and how did you do it? But that shopper was owned by Lee Enterprises. It was called the Valley Free Press. It was in Southern DeKalb County, Illinois. There is probably like 20 small towns that I went to in that county, the biggest of which being Plano and Sandwich. And we were using Quark at, at that time, and I, and I had taken several classes, courses at Columbia in, in, in Quark design. So I just, and I was given the task of redesigning it and using a lot of, just borrowing graphic elements from different papers, just, just bought a bunch of different papers, including USA Today, which is a company I work for now. Brought a, a lot of design elements from USA Today, I I recall, and just introducing other sections like um the calendar section, pretty much all the sections I I introduced, comic section, my um news section, my feature news section, and then for I, I knew sports was big, such as high school football, and there Plano was a with a um state champions one year, and my younger cousin he was eighteen, and he's he's pretty smart kid, he lived near the area, probably like 10 miles away from, from Plano. And I asked him to be my sports reporter and he came on board and we paid him like freelance dollars, $75 a story. He would go cover games and, and he did really well. And I edited his work a lot and that ended up winning some sports awards at the Illinois Press Association that year. So, so yeah, that, that was, that was pretty fun. That was, that was my, that was my baby for a while. So. Nice. What were your what are the highlights of your work uh, for the Tribune and the Sun Times? There was a lot of quirky assignments that they that the editors would sign, would send me on, but mostly I was I became a a a weekend reporter. They would pay me like five hundred dollars for the weekend just to 
cover any any breaking news, go after any, and 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 I would cover mostly the south side of Chicago or or, or southern Cook County, or so there was a lot of um, um crime that would happen, and I would and I would try to follow up on 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 um, with with families, survivors, and just call them up or even knock on our door sometimes, and if anybody would answer, if they wanted to talk about what happened or. Like probably like one out of five times I would get somebody who wanted who would who would talk. So a lot of that was kind of stressful and hard, but but you know it was it was it was my job and I I was just trying to tell people's story and you know, want to give help give people a voice and if they had any anything to say I want to give them give them an opportunity to to say it and express what's what what happened to them. So. All right, so let's get to what you're doing now. Um, how did you end up covering Indigenous Affairs in Wisconsin? Sure. Well, um, well, one of my editors from the um, Chicago Tribune, he had became, he had he he had left and and was hired as a recruiter for Report for America, which is a nonprofit that um, kind of gathers up journalists from from around the country and sends them on beats that are for for undercover beats that aren't really covered too often in the news such as tribal affairs, which is very undercover. A lot of major newspapers don't have a tribal news desk or anyone who covers tribal affairs. So that was intriguing to me. And just growing up in the city, kind of being like a like a city Indian. I mean, and just wanting to know more about my my own background and heritage and my grandfather is as 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 a Yaki and my mother in recent years wanting to know more about that too and just kind of like doing the research and finding out more about where we came from it's just fascinating and then you know in some friends here in Chicago they would they would tell me they didn't even know that that these tribes were up were up in Wisconsin there's there's 11 federally recognized tribes in Wisconsin but there's one that's not federally recognized as a brother town Indian um, nation and they're trying to they're they're still trying to gain federal rec recognition but anyway a lot of my friends here in Chicago they they thought like a reservation in Wisconsin like up in northern Wisconsin was basically like a big campground which you would drive through and you would still find teepees there and people living in teepees like the the um, old ways of First of all, those are those are plain Indians. Uh, um, most of the tribes in Wisconsin are um, the, from, from the woodland, so they had um, like wigwams two hundred years ago. But now they live in houses, and and, and yeah, it was just I just thought it was fascinating a lot. Uh, I, I just thought it was a lot I could educate people on. People get so much wrong about the history of Native Americans and and the interactions they've they've had with America, and just trying to correct that history and. Just trying to educate people. Thought that was great. As you said, uh, a lot of people have all sorts of misconceptions, and some of the stories that you've done are stories that people who are non-indigenous would have no idea about. I'm just going to list a few. Uh, you won yeah. an award for a feature about a woman from the Ho Chunk tribe that survived drug addiction. Now she's helping others. You talked yeah. to survivors of the Catholic Church and government's forced schooling and abuse of Native Americans in the 1950s. You did a piece, this one kind of different how hardwood from the menominee tribe was used on the milwaukee bucks home court the citizens did a blessing on the floor and a few years later 
the 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 Bucks won the championship, okay. and then the the wood was also used at the Lumberjack World Championships, which were yeah. held in Wisconsin. So so that that's a bunch. More recently, you reported on a tribe in Wisconsin looking to get into the cannabis business. Tribes getting PPP loans. A Red Cliff tribe member that was a Pulitzer finalist. That's a long list. I'm looking right. at a page that lists your articles, and it lists a food article, a language article, a drugs article, a sports article, a history article, a military article. <laughs> All that said, how do you come up with your story ideas? Well, yeah, this this is the beat that really encompasses everything because tribal communities are are everything. They they run the gamut, and uh, yeah, just looking for story ideas. Just I've I've been in this business for since '05, really, so almost almost twenty years now. Just kind of getting to know what works and looking at the analytic analytics sometimes over the years and knowing what gets the most page views and. Yeah, just 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 what's what's also the most interesting to me, and and I think about those friends who had who had thought people still lived in teepees. What what might they want to be more want to know more about? And yeah, I just think about the reader in that way, and what people would would want to know more about, and just trying to educate people. So. I'm thinking too that something like the Milwaukee Bucks is a nice entry point for a okay. lot of people. Uh, it, it allows them a way in to learn about the tribal culture that where they can associate it with the Milwaukee Bucks. Or mm-hmm. uh, I imagine it, at some point there might be a story related to the Packers because everyone in, in right. you, you were in a, at a newspaper where I imagine the Packers were A1 regularly. What are some of the stories that you're most proud of? Well, just recently, there was that Blood Quantum article that won an uh, award from from Report for America, so that was like a national award. I was kind of hesitant to um, approach that at first because it's kind of a sensitive subject about um because it because it kind of looks at the question as as what 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 makes an Indian an, an Indian. I was spoken with I had conversations with the then president of the Native American Journalists Association, asking him that my editors want me to write this article about blood quantum and kind of explaining to people what's going on in Indian country. And he was saying, well, if it's not for Native people to read, if it's for everyone to read, then it's really not anyone's business, but but Native people's. And and we, we shouldn't be writing about that. So that made me even more hesitant to go ahead. Then I spoke with other journalists, other Native journalists, experienced veteran journalists, and said I could approach it more as an, as, as an explainer, just kind of what what I've been doing anyway, just trying to educate people on on, on what's 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 happening and, and what's going on, and then I then I also want to approach this like this is something that the government that the U.S. government imposed on on tribes in the first place. This this we have to be a certain percentage of blood quantum because like race and how much blood you have. This this is like the this is like European concept. This is like a like a like a like a white people's concept. Of, of race and then they kind of enforce that upon the tribe as well as a way to eventually dwindle the numbers because they knew that this so-called blood quantum would eventually get dwindled as there's intermarriages other tribes with non-Indian people and then, and then even some descendants are having the trouble getting membership because like in for, for example, in Wisconsin, there's six bands of Ojibwe. It's all, they're all Ojibwe 
but a descendant who might have a great grandparent in one band and a great grandparent in another band might might meet the requirement of 25% blood quantum to to be a member but because their grandparents are from different bands they won't they don't because they because they count each each band as a separate tribe even though they're all Ojibwe so that's one way how they control how the government controls the the tribal numbers the population numbers so so I just took it from from that point of view just try to explain that more in depth so I'm curious too it just hit me that is there a difference or a considerable difference between reporting on Native American and indigenous issues in Wisconsin compared to if you were doing it in Oklahoma or another state that's further west? Or are the story con- the concepts behind the story is largely the same? Oh, they, they do have somewhat different backgrounds about where they came from. The uh, culture is a bit different. And I don't know, it just seems like, well, more out west, there's more tribes that have more pull or that are bigger, have more pull with the government. They're more, they probably have public relations departments. Here in Wisconsin, there's just a few tribes that have public information officers who are, who I can go to first, but other tribes are pretty, pretty quiet and don't really talk to the media too much. So that makes it somewhat of a challenge at times and but yeah I don't know I, w- I would say each place is different I don't know but but there are definitely some similarities there are there are some issues in Indian country that appear everywhere like mascots and and everybody wants sovereignty and food sovereignty energy sovereignty those are those are issues that that, that keep coming up everywhere in Indian country so and what are you mentioned thinking that people live in teepees, but what about in terms of journalists? What are the things that non-native journalists get wrong most often when they try to cover indigenous affairs stories? Almost that those same type of misconceptions. I know know, one journalist, like they would come to me asking me how how do they contact the tribe? Oh, well, call their public information officer and they would come back surprised. They have a public information officer? (laughs) Or, Or just how or, or about the tribal health department they would think it's not like a regular health clinic that they, they would think they would use some sort of indian medicine to help heal COVID or something <laughs> but but instead of you and, and, and they didn't realize that they had the vaccine out there and that it would they were at, at administering it to to tribal members so and they had right. real doctors as well so Okay, that that's that's unfortunate. What's the hardest part of the job for you? Probably waiting for people to get back to me. At sometimes I know people joke there's people are in Indian time they get back to me in Indian time, but if they say they're gonna get back to me, I might wait. If I got an interview scheduled two o'clock, I might not actually get to speak to them for like four or five o'clock, or, or yeah, just just. Just waiting for people to get back to me, just like with journalism, just like it was in Chicago as well. Just waiting to get it, get a hold of sources. But but once you get a hold of them and you're, and I'm relieved that I got the story, and I'm then I could look forward to writing it and 
that I'm that I'm all good again. But yeah, that's that's probably the most anxious and stressful part. Just 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 waiting to get the information. What's the best What's the best part of the job? Is writing it. I think sometimes usually because some of these stories is kind of just write themselves. It just feels like just putting it together, putting a story together, and 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 also I would say pro probably reader feedback sometimes too when 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 readers like your stories and kind of feel feel good about that you want to I mean you talk to them about it so or or they want to know more so you try to answer them so what's the process you mentioned writing being the best part of the job stories write themselves what's the process of writing like for you well I put I think I put most emphasis into the lead and I everyone has a different writing process but for me it's it's I've always been taught that the lead, lead is the most important and then everything kind of just flows from there and I, I used to write how we used to write in journalism with the inverted pyramid have everything the most important information on top and then it kind of goes down where you can well, the least important stuff goes on the bottom but now in these recent years I've been looking to include more pertinent information throughout the story and, and then have a good kicker at the end too and and just keep it interesting like a good good flowing story throughout and and where nothing is wasted just keep it tight trying not to put any useless information in there so <laughs> okay yeah so how do you view your role as a journalist in 2023 we were just talking about this you and one of our trainings at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel as well, where we just started doing solutions journalism, and 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 uh, and one thing I kind of brought up is that you know, back in the day, like in the eighties and nineties, journalists were known as like producing a lot of producing a lot of poverty porn. Like they would go into bad neighborhoods and not just report about the crime and the drug use and all the bad stuff and and about nothing else really. So, so our, so I think our goal is to be different than that. I mean, I mean, we still got to report what what the news that happens, but also report on the positive stories, and and also trying to give use stories as to give people a voice of empowerment, like to find someone in those communities who are who are trying to make a difference and 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 how it's working, and kind of feature them more, and just try to lift them up some more and kind of create these or just try to show give empowerment to these voices in the community who are people who are trying to make a difference and and just reporting all the things that are working as well to 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 make things better so presenting a more complete perspective right essentially and how has being a journalist how does that influence how you view the world well in in that way i mean i mean I'd say probably with the Tribune and sometimes covering those weekend crime and and death numbers that probably you know be a cynic after a while or but just working on feature stories like this and kind of really talking to people and there's a lot more optimism I think and a lot I mean you you see what people are doing you meet some you meet some really interesting people who are trying to make a difference and yeah yeah I, I think that's probably the probably the main way Who, who's the most interesting person you've ever written about oh man <laughs> you walked right into that question right right uh, i was just recently in wisconsin um 
Uh, I'm, I'm kind of in admiring like the Oneida Nation chairman, um, Tahasi Hill, and what he's doing up there in Oneida. There are these ladies who run the Wise Women Gathering Place also in Oneida. There's, and, then, and there's, there's teachers, and there's Wayne Valier. He's a Ojibwe up in Lac du Flambeau, trying to revive the, the, the Ojibwe arts and language and culture there. He figured out how to build a bridge bar canoe. Um, he, he won some national award for that. There's a lot of artists up there too, like Karen Ann Hoffman. She's on Ida. She does some amazing beadwork. Yeah, I would I would say a lot of artists probably. So, in looking through the various things that you that you've covered, you you mentioned interesting people, and there's another podcaster, Jeff Perlman, who does this sometimes. He'll go way back in someone's archives and try and find a really interesting, unusual, or goofy story that they did and i think here's an interesting person you did a story in 2018 about a high school graduate who was on a 5,000 day streak of wearing dinosaur shirts what was that about i think it was something off a facebook post something he posted on facebook that either myself or one of the editors was kind of monitoring the school's facebook or but yeah because he was just kind of a kind of a cool kid he now he just loved dinosaurs ever since watching jurassic park and he made it uh, a habit always to wear dinosaurs on his shirts every once since he was a kid and just realized he was on a streak and just kept it going throughout his teenage years. And and yeah, he 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 wants to study those kind of genetics too. Uh, trying to he's his his goal is to try to bring back a dinosaur actually in college. And he thinks that what's done in Jurassic Park is it was simplified, but he thinks that it could be done. Scientifically to bring well, you cover a lot of serious stuff. That's a nice lighter kind of piece. How do you manage your mental health? I watch a lot of Netflix and I don't know, just like a lot of escapism like that. But I don't know. It's not so serious these days as as it had been. I do think about these stories a lot. It's just just kind of become a part of me. I don't. I don't. I. If I have a good idea or think of a good source, it could be late at night. I might get up and write it down or someone might be trying to reach me or another reporter also reaches me after hours and I, I'll, I'll talk with them. I don't know. And just going, I just was recently married. She's, she's, she's helping to keep me grounded, I think, a little bit. And <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, she's, she, she's great. So yeah, my, my wife, I think, is pretty good for me <laughs> now that that's that's very good what would you like to tell us about the future work that you're considering at the moment we just won a, a grant from the Fortnite institute to look at environmental reporting in, in the great lakes and one of my ideas was to show how tribal treaty rights can help protect the environment and how tribes are using those rights in court to successfully argue in, in keeping the environment protected. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That's one project we're working on. We're also working on pretendians who kind of change race, who pretend that they're Native Americans in order to advance their career or obtain grants or scholarships and any other benefits now that being Native these days is cooler and than it, than it had been. and. Yeah, and I'm looking to eventually write write a book about this beat. I know a lot of people, a lot of 
academics, scholars reached out to me. They wanted me to write um, some sort of history book, but there's a lot of history books already about the tribes in Wisconsin and the Midwest and everywhere. I, w I, I would like to more write more about the tribal fight for sovereignty and, and the modern era. In Wisconsin, we have uh, Act 31, which, which is a mandate to teach Native American history in, in public schools. And, and a, a lot of kids don't know some of the recent history, such as the, uh, such as the walleye wars up in northern Wisconsin, where there were fights over spearfishing rights with the Ojibwe people. And just kind of getting more, just want to write more about that, about, about the tribal sovereignty rights. So, Cool. That's great. I will add that in. In fact, I'm going to now say, all right, so the show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that you would like to salute for their good work? Well, I would definitely salute Report for America. I'm seeing a lot of good work come, come out of there, and a lot of good journalists kind of grow. And so, yeah, definitely Report for America, I think. Do they... How do they do in terms of teaching? And I know that you get assigned like a mentor. How does how does that help? Well, they have these virtual training courses every month. There's probably like five a month, and you can just kind of choose what you want to learn more about. You kind of like an hour, two hours, some of them three hours. You're writing workshops, and you learn from some of the best in the in the field. So they just kind of help set those up. Cool. Frank Vizvillis, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck. We will be following your work closely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod. And you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.